Hey, if you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 22. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these on the floor around you. It's on page 692 in this Bible, 692. We're starting a brand new series today, as we've already said, called Love Where You Are. What I want to do first... Uh, Before we dive into that scripture, we'll get to Matthew 22 in just a minute. But before we dive into that, I want to give you a quiz. All right, I'm going to test your knowledge of TV neighbors. How are you feeling right now? If this was the final Jeopardy question, how would you be feeling about that? TV neighbors. I'm going to show you the neighbor on the screen, okay? And then uh, I want you to just tell me who that neighbor is, and then I'll ask you who their neighbor is, okay? And so this will make sense in just a minute. We're going to start, we'll start with the oldest one first, all right? So uh, let's put the first one up there. Uh, Who is this? Just shout it out. Fred and Ethel. Fred and Ethel Mertz, and they are neighbors of? Lucy and Ricky Ricardo, right? Good, okay. Uh, I think we've got some for every generation here. Who's this? Betty and Barney Rubble and Bam Bam, right? And they're neighbors of? The Flintstones. Okay, good. You guys are good at this. Uh, Number three, who's this? Kramer. Kramer is neighbors of? Jerry Seinfeld. Very good. Uh, Who's this one? Wilson. Okay, a few, a little tougher maybe. Uh, Wilson is the neighbor of? The Tool Man. Tim the Tool Man Taylor. Right. All right. You guys are four for four so far. Who's this? Kimmy Gibbler. Even know her last name. Awesome. Kimmy is the neighbor of? The Tanners, Danny Tanner and his family. Good job. Uh, Number six, Urkel. You guys know who Urkel's neighbor was? The Winslows. Somebody knows it. Good. Awesome. Everybody knows Urkel from that show. Nobody knows the main family. That's great. Uh, Here, number number seven. Raymond's mom has a name. Our moms have a name, Lisa. Frank and... Marie, Frank and Marie Barone, and they're neighbors of Raymond and Deborah, right? And number eight, this last one. Hi, Diddleo, neighbor. Ned Flanders is the neighbor of the Simpsons. Hey, you guys did pretty good at that. Seven for eight, most of you, I think. Seven for eight. Most of us are really, really good at identifying our TV neighbors, right? Now, I want to give you a second quiz, all right? I gave you this, or you got one of these when you walked in. Uh, We're calling this a neighbor map. Okay, the second quiz is this. Let's find out how well you know your real neighbors. Okay, on this map at the center is your house or your apartment, uh, wherever you live. Now, I realize you may not have a house. You might have a condo. You might have an apartment, a townhome, a dorm, uh, your parents' basement, right? In which case, one of these should be really easy for you. All right, Uh, around your home are eight houses, eight places that are represented, and uh, there are three blanks in each one. Right now, we're just going to focus on blank A, okay? But in blank A go the names, first and last name, of your eight closest neighbors. Now, when I say closest, I don't mean the ones you know the best. I mean the ones that are closest to you. Now, I know as I look around the room, too, I know some of you, you have to go more than a mile to get to eight neighbors, okay? And so uh, let's adapt this uh, to your situation. But to do the spirit of the exercise, what I want to do is I want to give you one minute, and uh, there should be a pen in the seat back in front of you. Just grab that pen, and I want you to, during this minute, uh, write down the names of your eight closest neighbors, okay? I don't have any time. Do we have any music back there, Nate, Duan? No? Should have had Cameron stay up here.
How you guys doing? Not great. <laughs> anybody, anybody get all eight yet? Anybody get eight? All right. Like three hands, four hands. Good. Okay, well, I'll give you some time later to, to finish this up, but let's go a step further, okay? In blank B is a chance for you to write something you know about those neighbors. And, and don't put... I always hear him cussing in his garage, okay? Don't put uh, her car's really loud, and I know she leaves really early in the morning. Uh, I don't want this to be something that you can observe from your house, okay? It can't be something that you can see from where you are. I want this to be a piece of information that's important about them. Maybe it's where they're from originally. Maybe it's uh, where they work. Uh, Maybe it's how they met their spouse. It's something that you can garner from a a brief conversation, all right? I'm going to give you another minute. And uh, take a minute and write some fact about each of those eight neighbors. I hear a lot of whispering, a lot of teamwork going on here. That's good. Hey, I may not know a whole lot, but between the two of us, we can get this, right? I already see a lot of people looking up. Either means you're really good at this or something else. Okay, a few of you are still writing, but most of you look like you're done. All right, how'd you do on that? Good? Yeah, a couple thumbs up, good. Uh, maybe some of you are not quite as well, a couple thumbs down too. Uh, I know that uh, when I first did this exercise, it was about a year ago, um, my friend John Ferguson up at Community Christian in Chicago uh, did this exercise, and I didn't do as well on part B. Uh, okay, so let's go a little bit further, all right? Blank C is something a little bit deeper about your neighbors. It's their hopes and dreams, Uh, Maybe it's a challenge they're facing in their life. Maybe it's their spiritual condition, how they would say uh, their relationship with God is. All right, how much of that do you know about your neighbors? I'm going to give you a little bit of time to fill that out. So this is something deeper, all right? Uh, I'll give you a little bit of time. Here it go. All right, that, that was only 20 seconds, but for many of us, it was far more time than we needed uh, to do blank C, right? How much do we actually know about our neighbors? How much do we actually know? I think this was convicting to me to think, I don't really know that much about the people that live the closest to me. Well, I want you to hold on to this, okay? We're going to consider this a living document. Over the next three weeks, we're going to keep coming back to this and using this as we go through this series. We're gonna, I'm going to help you fill out some information as we get to know our neighbors better. Now, why is this so important? Well, I want to look at a passage this morning from Matthew 22. It comes from a time when Jesus is becoming quite popular in his ministry. He's being followed by more and more people, and uh, the authorities in and around Jerusalem, the authorities in the synagogues are starting to take notice. Uh, Wherever he goes, he's drawing a crowd. 
And the people, uh, the Jewish leaders of the day, are really getting irritated by this. They probably spend up, end up spending way too much of their time trying to trip up Jesus. And that's what we're going to see happening here. Uh, he, Jesus keeps shutting them down, though, because of his brilliant teaching. And so at the passage we're going to read today, what's happened is he's just done this with a group called the Sadducees. And then he gets approached by another group uh, of people called the Pharisees. Now, Sadducees and Pharisees don't get too hung up on those names. It's really like um, you know Methodist and Baptist. It's two different sects of the same uh, religion, but they have different beliefs, uh, drastically different beliefs. Okay, so he's tripped up the Sadducees as they're trying to trick him. And we're going to pick up in verse 34, uh, Matthew 22:34. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, you should know uh, there are 613 commandments in the Jewish law. And uh, these teachers, these uh, teachers of the law, are trying to trip him up by asking him which one's the most important. Hey, out of these 613, if you had to pick one, tell us which one it is. That's what's going on here, okay? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Okay, so Jesus basically says, hey, I can take all 613 commandments that were given to the people of Israel, and I can condense them down into two. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Love God. Love your neighbor. Jesus says that's what matters most. It's it's such an important part of Jesus' teaching that it's often called in the church the great commandment. We call this the great commandment. Love God, love your neighbor. Now, there was another time when Jesus was asked this very same question, and he gave the same answer, but the person on the receiving end either didn't like that answer or was trying to kind of weasel out of the commandment or something, But he so he asked a follow-up. He said, yeah, but who's my neighbor? Right? And this was in the book of Luke, you can see that. And Jesus went on to tell a story about a Samaritan man uh, who helped a man who was lying beaten by the side of the road. And, and people sometimes hear that story. It's called the story of the Good Samaritan. You can read it in Luke chapter 10 if you want. People sometimes hear that story and think, oh, well, I guess everyone is my neighbor then. Uh, but the guy didn't ask that question because he was really trying to find out who he should treat as his neighbor. He was, he was looking for an escape. He was looking for a loophole. And I think in some ways we all do that a little bit, don't we? Don't, don't we all try to rationalize away the great commandment? We, we ask questions or we make excuses. We think, well, that one's not very lovable, right? Or, or their garage door is always closed. How am I supposed to love them? We'll say things like, well, I love her because I'm supposed to, but I don't really like her very much. Right? We say things like that. We look for loopholes in the great commandment. And, and maybe, quite honestly, it's just a whole lot harder to love somebody who lives right next to you, doesn't it? Isn't it? But, but here's the question I want to ask today, and it's one that we'll dwell on for the whole three weeks of this series. What if when Jesus gave the great commandment, the second half, when he said, love your neighbor as yourself, what if he actually meant that we should love our actual neighbor? like the people that live right around us. What if we started taking the second half of the great commandment literally? 
What if we at Genesis Church really made loving our neighbors, you know, the the people right around us, the ones next door, across the street, across the hall, upstairs, downstairs, uh, what if we made that a priority in our lives? What if we loved our actual neighbors? But here's what happens. We, We take Jesus' story about the Good Samaritan and we interpret it to mean everyone is my neighbor. Right? If I see somebody laying on the side of the road, uh, he's my neighbor. But the problem is, if everyone is your neighbor, then no one's your neighbor. Right? There's no one that we treat any differently than anyone else. We really end up being neighbors with no one. Either we try to hopelessly love everyone we meet with equal vigor, or we just get so overwhelmed by the idea that we throw our hands up in the air and give up and think, you know what, it's really impossible to do what Jesus says here. We don't really like anybody then in the end. But, but what I want to present to you today may be a really novel idea. What if God has you living right where you're living now for a purpose? What, what if you are part of his plan to, to reach a neighborhood, to change a neighborhood or a community or even a whole city? What if you, if you're a Christian, what if you are the only follower of Jesus on your block, on your street, in your building? And what would happen then if you took the great commandment literally? You know, when I made the decision about four years ago to come on staff at Genesis Church, uh, my wife and I knew that it would mean leaving a town we loved and a neighborhood that we'd gotten quite comfortable in and a school district that we loved. And uh, we were looking for where to live. And my wife began praying and specifically began praying for our two girls. They were nine and seven at the time. And she was praying that they would love their school, but specifically that she would find, we would find a neighborhood where they had good friends. Uh, we, would, we wanted to find a neighborhood where there were good friends. So my wife was fervently praying about that, and it was very difficult for us because we didn't know where we'd end up. Uh, and we found a house, and we loved the house. And the day after we moved into our house, I remember we were out back, and we were, you know, when you buy a new house and you're... You start looking at the landscaping and saying, you're trying to assess the situation. Like, what do we have here? Okay, <laughs> What's, what do we got to tear out? What do we got to put in? Uh, we're out back looking at it. I realized I started counting, and there were nine kids on our deck, jumping off our deck into our flower bed. And I only know who two of them were. <laughs> so the other seven were from in the neighborhood somewhere. And my wife turned to me, and she goes, where, where did all these kids come from? And I just said, you prayed for them. I mean, those were the kids that you prayed for. It's your fault. But that moment was great confirmation for us that, that things were going to be okay. Like, like that God heard our prayers and had answered them. We took that as a sign that we were where we were supposed to be. Let's go back to what Jesus said. He said, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And I think most of us would have agreed with that, right? Love God, okay. I mean, as long as I'm not in a really difficult season... I can get behind that commandment. I can love God. But then Jesus adds another. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But wait a minute. The guy didn't ask for two commandments. He only asked for one. He said, what is the most important? You know, he said, what's the greatest commandment? Not the greatest commandments, right? I only wanted one. But I think it's because Jesus understood that these two were inseparable. This was actually one commandment in two parts. You, you can't have one like the other. Like, imagine this, okay? Uh, from the flight deck, this is your captain speaking. Uh, we are cruising at an altitude of 35,000 feet, but we have a slight mechanical issue. Um, 
we are going to have to lose one of our wings. And so the flight attendant is going to come around the cabin, and she's going to ask you, which would you rather lose, the port wing or the starboard wing? And think about it. If you're flying, if you have to lose a wing, which one do you want to lose? Well, neither, right? Because you can't fly an airplane with one wing. I think this commandment is exactly the same way. Like you can't have one without the other. You need both, right? Like if you really want to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, that will overflow into the way you love the people around you. That includes the lady that only wants to talk about how great her kids are. You know, that includes the neighbor who mows his grass, doesn't mow his grass until the HOA sends a letter. All right? That includes uh, the neighbor whose dog leaves little presents in your yard and never picks them up, right? And see, here's the thing. Loving my neighbor is a whole lot harder than loving God. And here's why. God is perfect. My neighbor isn't. My neighbor messes up. He, he's prideful. He's messy. His family is awkward. Well, my neighbor's a lot like me. And, and I don't always love me. But that's why Jesus is so brilliant. He's reminding us that we can't, out of our own power, we can't love our neighbors as ourselves. What he's saying by combining these two commands is that only when you're transformed by the love of God can you really love people well. And when you love people well is when you can best see that you've been transformed by a relationship with God. See, when Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor, what he's really doing is, well, he's inviting us to a new way of life. He's inviting us to a life that says, hey, when you go into a new place, you ought to love the place and you ought to love the people that are there. It's a life uh, where he says, hey, this is going to be different. You're going to look different than the rest of your neighbors. You're going to love even when people are hard to love. You're going to give grace even when people don't deserve grace. You're going to be more and more like me. It's just like Jesus did when he came to earth. In fact, in John 1, it says, uh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. But in uh, Eugene Peterson, when he uh, made this paraphrase called the message, he wrote it this way. The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the neighborhood. Jesus is so behind this idea of neighborhoods that he moved into one. He came into our neighborhood. He came to earth to love the people around him, to love his neighbors. And so he invites us into that same life. It's a life where we have a part to play in restoring our neighborhoods and our cities back to the world that God intended. It's a life that's full of friends and meaningful relationships and purpose. And it's a way of life that starts with us deciding that we are going to take the great commandment literally and start loving our neighbors. I want to give you two resources to share. Um, We're only going to be able to scratch the surface on Sunday mornings over these three weeks. And so uh, two things I want to share with you. One, uh, I forgot to bring it up here on stage, but I've been reading a book called The Art of Neighboring by Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon. Um, I'll have it up here after the service if you guys want to see it. But it's a great resource. And a lot of the ideas we got for this series came from this book, The Art of Neighboring is what it's called. Um, It's about two guys who got together with a group of pastors from their town outside of Denver. And they started asking this question. What does our community really need? 
Like, what do they need? And they got civic leaders and volunteers together, and they got the mayor to come to this gathering, and they said, Mayor, what can the church really do for this area? And the mayor answered this. He said, most of the issues our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. And so that's what they set about to do. So that's one resource, uh, that book. I, I highly recommend it. Number two is this. Uh, we are going to have a Love Where You Are workshop right after this series is over. So on Saturday, June the 6th at our Noblesville campus, uh, 9 to 11 in the morning on a Saturday morning, Kevin Russell and I are co-hosting a workshop called Love Where You Are. And we're going to go a lot deeper into some of these things we're going to talk about over the next three weeks. If you want to be a part of that, we're going to have a link on our website later this week to sign up. But you can write on your connection card, uh, Love Where You Are Workshop, and uh, turn it in at the Info Hub, and we will sign you up for that. Uh, We're going to take some case studies and look at real-life ways that people have uh, loved their neighbor in their neighborhood. I wonder what it would look like in Carmel or in Westfield, in Zionsville. You know, in Indianapolis or Fishers or Noblesville or Sheridan, if just our church, just those of us in this room right here today, what if we became focused on becoming great neighbors? And what would happen if we decided to take the great commandment literally and just start investing in a few neighbors right around us? What could it look like to live where neighbors love and care for one another? What about... A neighborhood where people look to each other to make sure that their physical and emotional and spiritual needs are all met right there in the neighborhood. Could it be possible that we all lived in neighborhoods where kids felt safe and valued by the adults around them? I mean, what if just a few of us loving our neighbors well could transform an entire community? I mean, what if that's part of God's design for restoring the earth to how it's meant to be? I got to tell you, I'm really challenged this week because uh, as I think about my neighborhood and I think about my neighbor map, um, I can fill a lot of these out. It's really easy for me to get uh, six or seven of these. And then there are a couple where I go, "Mm, I think I've got an out for that one. You know, I I look across the street at the, the single guy, Mike, and this is all I know about him is his name's Mike. And I know that whenever he's on the phone, he's talking real loud and cussing somebody out. I'm like, I think I can get a pass on that one. You know, he doesn't have any kids. He's, he's not like the rest of us. But this week, I felt like God nudging me to say, no, you're part of my plan for Mike. I need you to go get him. And so I'm like, okay, honey, this is going to be hard. This is going to be a hard series for us. I want to show you the story of one couple who wasn't satisfied just to ask what if. Dan and Katie Knuth are a Genesis family who really took the great commandment literally and they've seen great fruit from it. Take a look at this. So when we decided that we were gonna build a home in Viking Meadows, we reached out to our connection group and asked them to be praying with us about the neighbors that would be building around us that we would be coming in contact with, that we would have a, um, uh, an opportunity to impact them for Christ.
It was January 7th, 2014. We had just had the biggest snow from what I remember. The kids weren't going back to school. And I looked out my window and Dan is shoveling my driveway. And I just was like, really? Who, who does that? He was doing something handy because I asked him to come in and look because we had, we had these pre-wire speakers. Oh, yeah, no, no. We, he was in his backyard and we were on the deck doing something. Yeah, so he comes in. He's like, oh, yeah, you should do this, this, and this. And I was like, oh, he really knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he's going to be great. He's going to be real handy. <laughs> he ended up doing a lot of projects for me. I feel kind of bad about that. but <laughs> He's always inviting. Never, never, he never seems put off, no matter when you catch him. So through the opportunities that I had to uh, help guys with projects they were working on around the house, uh, they gave me an opportunity to build relationships with them and, and really uh, uh, find out who they were. Not, I mean, I had no idea that just you know, doing something small would have such a big impact. I just kind of stepped out in faith and started pursuing relationships with them. And so through those conversations, I wanted to be intentional and not just get to know what is your job, what do you do, what do you like, but more beyond that to know what is your, what's in your heart and do you know the Lord, do you know Jesus? And I was pleasantly surprised that they responded well to it and that they opened up and it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be never had that kind of like relationship tightness of someone just seeking me. It was almost like she was just like, I know Jill's heart. I know where she wants to be in her faith. And I know that I want to help her do that. The women had, we'd been connecting on a high level and we wanted to dig deeper. We just wanted more time together. So we started scheduling twice a month. Bible studies. I was like, well, I get home and I got to do dinner with the kids and homework and I got this schedule. Katie goes, work around your schedule. We'll do it at 7.30. And I'm like, really? I mean, and she went and bought all the books and she started the Bible study. Kind of like Dean would have verses for her, for the wand. I feel like Katie would always know right when to point to something or say, you know, have you done this? Or she talked about journaling. Um, so just, it was very enlightening. And then sometimes the guys would hang while we would do our study, so that was nice for them. We all have similar interests, so we'd play basketball, we'd play golf, you know, we're all big sports guys or watch a game or something like that, and that's how we'd connect. So, uh, through, uh, whether it was playing golf or, or playing basketball or uh, just, you know, spending time together uh, doing things that we all love to do, that then gave me an, an avenue to to move past uh, some of the small talk and really dive into uh, things that were going on in their lives. Dewand, Amy, and Jill all got baptized on the same day, and that was just a really awesome experience because we were able to see the fruit of um, our prayers. We had been praying for all of them, all of the neighbors, since before our house was even built, and so that was just a huge answer to prayer and just a, a really awesome experience to be a part of. I got really lucky. I scored when I moved into Viking Meadows, I totally scored. Not only did I get lot 18, my soccer number, I got Dan and Katie across the street. We love Dan and Katie. Yeah. <laughs>
you know, with your neighbors, it's just establishing some connection. So make it, like you said, making that connection, whether it's casual, and then your neighbor will just fall in love with who you are and then want to come to your church. <laughs> We're just uh, so proud of Dan and Katie and their story, and I love getting to see their neighbors come week after week, and, and Dewan is the one that actually pushed the button to start that video. How cool is that? But uh, um, one thing I want to make clear, people are not a project, all right? It's not your job to fix somebody. Um, you are called to love your neighbor, whether they ever accept your invitation to church or not, whether they ever enter a relationship with Jesus or not, you are supposed to love them. And Dan and Katie would tell you they didn't really do anything special. They were just doing what they felt like God called them to do in the place where they lived. And you heard Dan say, doing what he already does anyway. But they were attentive. They were prayerful. And God honored that. And it started by getting to know the people around them. Now, the eagle-eyed among you may have noticed that when they did that video, they weren't standing in Viking Meadows. Because Dan and Katie have moved recently. But they trust... And I trust that the Lord's going to do the same thing in their new neighborhood that he did in their old neighborhood because of who they are and the way they act. How does it change your life to know that God could use me, God could use you to change lives and to change a neighborhood? So here's a challenge for this week as we start this series. I gave you this neighbor map. I'd love for you to take this home with you and learn the names of your eight closest neighbors that you weren't able to fill in today. That's it. Just the names. Just blank A. All right, now here's why. Here's why this is important. If you really want to love your neighbor well, it helps to know their name. And so that's what we're going to do. I mean, who doesn't like to hear their own name? Don't you love it when somebody says your name? I mean, unless you're a kid and your mom uses your middle name too, right? You love to hear your own name. That's one of the greatest things people love to hear. I know. I love it when somebody remembers my name. I love to try to remember people's names. Now, I know this could cause some awkward conversations. All right? Some of us are going to have to say things like, hey, I know I've lived across the street from you for seven years, and I know we've waved at each other every day, but I just realized I don't know your name. What's your name? I'm Steve, you know, and we'll have to have those conversations, but it's going to be totally worth it. Think about it. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. The NIV says he made his dwelling place among us. He wasn't, you know, willing to just sit on the edges of society and watch from the street. Jesus dove in. He, he, he got into people's messes. You know, he made himself a part of people's lives. He took time to listen and to learn about people on his way to the cross. He threw himself into relationships. He made the most of every opportunity to really love people well. If we're going to truly love God with all our heart and soul and mind and love our neighbors as we sell ourselves, we need to start by loving right where we are. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so uh, challenged, first of all, by that great commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves because... Um, well, I don't always like everything I do. I really love myself. I spend most of my money on me. I spend most of my time on my pursuits and my hobbies and things I like to do. And um, Lord, this challenge means that 
I would spend equal amounts on my neighbor. I would love them as I love myself. And I'm challenged by that. And I, I just trust that a lot of people in this room are too. But I'm thankful for the example you gave us in Jesus. That he was such a relational person. His entire ministry was based on relationships with a few. And God, I trust and I know that you've put me in a place for a reason. And I believe that about everybody in this room, that you've got us living where we are, working where we are, worshiping where we are for a reason, and that we're a part of your plan for that. And so I just pray that we could take that with us this week. Thank you so much for the work you're doing in our lives. And Lord, we want to see neighbors come to faith. We want to see the people near us come and be baptized. God, we want to see people not perish, but be saved. And we know that's your desire too, Lord. So help us to walk beside you. We know that you will do the work if we'll just do our part. And so we trust you with that, God. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.